0: You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. Well, good morning, Grace. It's great to be with you guys today. If you will, open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 15. If you don't have your own copy of Scripture, it is page 57 in your pew Bible. Page 57. Church, a few years ago, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you enter into my home for a moment. A few years ago, I dealt with a major water problem at my house. In fact, it was more of a waistline problem than it was a water problem. And for those of you who have had waistline problems before, you know how frustrating and debilitating it could be. You see, every six months or so, literally almost to the date, for several years somewhere between the main line and our waistline, there would be a blockage that would back up into my basement. So, yeah, <laughs> ooh. And, 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 if, and if having backups in my basement was not inconvenient enough, it always happened in, during the most inconvenient times. Literally, Mother's Day afternoon, my son's birthday. I mean, it's like, okay, it, so it's the weekend and holiday rate for roto and, and so eventually, we learned that the problem in our waistline was actually caused by a sag in the main line, and it was on the burrow to fix it, praise God. However, before we learned about this revelation, it was on me and Roto-Rooter to fix it. And after experiencing Roto-Rooter's weekend and holiday rate on more than one occasion, I decided I am never calling them again. Literally, like 400 bucks like for like one visit, right? I'm like, I'm done." So the next time I had a backup and again, they were frequent, I borrowed a snake from my friend that's a plumber's tool to, you know do your thing and uh, unclog the, the line. And, and I purpose I'm going to break this thing up myself. And so uh, on one particular Saturday, we were invited to go to a friend's house for a party, and like clockwork that morning, because it always happens on the most inconvenient times I looked in my basement and there was yet again, another backup. And so I grabbed the snake and I started working on it for hours and hours and hours, okay? If you ever need any plumbing done at your house, I got you covered because I know know the whole technique and everything. But hours, literally from 9 a.m. in the morning to 3 p.m. in the afternoon, I was working on this thing, and it wasn't breaking up. And let me tell you, I grumbled and I complained pretty much the entire time. I was so frustrated and I was so debilitated And missing the party didn't help. I told my family, just go to the party. I got to stay home and take care of this. Like, we got to figure this thing out. Well, at about the sixth hour, I realized that my complaining was not making the situation any better. So I decided to change my tactic. I grabbed my phone, and I put some worship music on. And I decided to praise God through my problem. There I was, trying to unblock a waistline, and I was singing, Open up the floodgates, a mighty river. I think I was going insane at hour six. Now, here's the kicker. It might sound silly, but this is what happened. In an act of exhaustion and desperation, I finally cried out to God. I said, Lord, you are able... I pray that this backup would break up. You can do this. You are able. And church, all I can tell you is when I said you are able, all of a sudden, I'm not done yet. All of a sudden, the blockage went away. And no joke, on my phone, the worship song that was playing during that time was a song called God is Able. It's hilarious that you're clapping for a waistline story, but it's true. (laughs) Psalm 50, verse 15, it says, And call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. All I can do in that moment was smile and laugh and lift my hands in worship. My only regret is that I complained well before I called upon the Lord, so I regret doing that. But church, I share this story with you because this morning, as we continue our series in the life of Moses, we're going to find the Israelites complaining about their own water problem. And like me, they needed to be reminded that despite their problem, God is able. In fact, it's through our study that we're going to be reminded of this important truth. It's simple, but it's often forgotten truth. And it's this, God always provides for the needs of his people, always. And so with that, let's uh, just bow our heads briefly one more time before we hop into his word. God, I want to thank you for the reminder that you always provide for our needs. And I pray this morning that you would show us in your word uh, what that looks like. Lord, speak through me this morning. Speak to our people. Help me to get out of your way. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, shortly after God delivered me from my problem, there was a song of worship. Well, the same was true with the Israelites. See, today's passage picks up shortly after the Israelites were delivered from their biggest problem yet, the crossing of the Red Sea. God had parted the waters and allowed his people to walk on dry ground. And after his people were safely to the other side, God brought waters down on the Egyptian army and he killed all those who went after the Israelites. And as a result of God's deliverance, uh, Moses, along with all the people, they broke out in this song and dance and celebration. You can see Moses, the song of Moses, begins in chapter 15. And then in in, in verses 20 and 21, it says, Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam saying to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. You see, there was this jubilant celebration. It was a great demonstration of God's power. However, it wouldn't be long before the Israelites would go from shaking a tambourine in worship to shaking their fists in resentment. Let's begin by reading the the whole passage, then we'll break it down, verses 22 through 27. It says, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Then they came to Marah. They could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to my voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord, your healer. Then they came to Elam, where, they were, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. And they encamped there by the water. You know, if you've ever seen the movie Finding Dory, then you know that Dory is a wide-eyed, blue-tang fish who, has, who suffers from short-term memory loss. In fact, about every 10 seconds or so, she pretty much forgets everything about her circumstances and how she got to where she got to. Well, in the same way, it seems as if the Israelites suffered from the same condition. Psalm 103.2 says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and what? Forget not all his benefits. In just three days, three days following the Red Sea crossing, the Israelites went from being wide-eyed worshipers to angry-eyed complainers. In just three days, they had forgotten God's benefits and his ability to deliver. And so in his mercy, God once again used a miracle to remind the Israelites of his ability to provide for all their needs, even when the problem seemed insurmountable. And so found within today's text are six parts in the process of God's provision. Let's begin by looking at the first, the pilgrimage, the pilgrimage, verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days into the wilderness and found no water. Church, the late Billy Graham once said, My home is in heaven. I'm just traveling through this world. And do you know what? He's right. As believers, we are bound for the promised land. Our ultimate destination is heaven. However, in our pilgrimage of getting to our heavenly destination, We need to walk through the ups and downs of this life, yes? It's simply part of the journey. Well, our text begins with the Israelites heading toward the promised land of Canaan. But I want you to notice that in their journey to the promised land, they needed to go through the wilderness. Church, this is a good reminder that when we experience wilderness moments in our own lives, it's not necessarily indicative that we're walking outside of God's will. In fact, quite the opposite is often the case. God will allow us to go through those wilderness moments to strengthen our faith and solidify our resolve and draw us closer to himself. James 1 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you ever face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And so let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. You see, the Israelites were still very weak and immature in their faith. Despite God's miraculous deliverance through the Red Sea, it didn't take long for his people to be caught off guard by their newest trial in the wilderness. In fact, instead of receiving their new trial with joy and trusting in the Lord to get them through, they did what most of us would do. They complained. And this leads us to the second part of the process, the problem. Look at verses 23 and 24. When they came to Mara, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Mara. And the people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? As many of you are, are, are aware, in 2014 and for really many years following, Flint, Michigan had a major water crisis. The city had just begun supplying residents with Flint River water, which is probably the problem, you know, here's some river water. But anyway, it wasn't long after that that they started complaining that the water in their taps looked and smelled and tasted foul. Despite protests by residents literally holding jugs of discolored water, the powers that be maintained that the water was safe. Well, after further studies were conducted, it was found that there were high levels of lead in the water causing skin rashes, hair loss, itchy skin, and even the development of diseases. So needless to say, it was, and in some ways continues to be, a major water crisis. Bitter water led to bitter people. And the same is true with the Israelites. You see, after three days of wandering in the wilderness, God's people were thirsty, and rightfully so. And the only water available to them was undrinkable. The Hebrew word here is mara, which means sour, acrid, or bitter. You see, for the Jewish people, Mara wasn't just a word. It represented a place, a place of bitterness. But it wasn't just merely a physical place. It also represented a bitter place in the heart of the Israelites. You see, instead of bringing their problem to the one who miraculously met their need three days earlier, the parting of the Red Sea, instead, they brought their problem to Moses in protest one commentator noted what makes this reaction truly ironic is that their previous crisis had involved a water problem for which there had been no visible solution in sight here when confronted by another water problem with no visible solution in view they immediately forecast doom for themselves yet these people had clearly seen what God could do with water and then he goes on to say we doubt what God can do only because we forget what he has done it took three days for the israelites to forget what god had done for them but church before we judge them too harshly we'd be wise to take inventory of our own lives i've heard it said complaining is like bad breath you notice it when it comes out of somebody else's mouth but not your own Friends, if we're honest, how often are we guilty of doing the same exact thing as the Israelites? How often are we guilty of singing God's praises on a Sunday, only to have a spirit of complaint and bitterness on a Monday? If we're honest, I think you're all honest people here today, if we're honest, I think we'd all admit that we identify with the Israelites more often than we'd like to admit. In his book, Overcoming Bitterness, Stephen Vyers said it succinctly. He said, God's people can be incredibly skilled at complaining. Church, part of spiritual maturity is recognizing that we don't always have to act like the Israelites did in the wilderness. There is a better way to respond to the problem. In fact, we should aim to be more like David when he was in the wilderness. Listen to what he wrote in Psalm 63, verse 1. He said, O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. You see, David's wilderness experience prompted him to seek the only one who could bring true satisfaction both physically and spiritually. Despite being in the wilderness, David recognized that God was his provider and he trusted in the Lord to carry him through. Well, needless to say, the Israelites hadn't yet developed a David-like faith. Now, fortunately, there was at least one person in that large group who had developed a strong faith in the Lord. And that person was Moses. In faith, he had led two million people across the desert sands without any daily provisions. And in faith, he trusted that God would provide for their needs. Unlike the Israelites, Moses had not forgotten how the Lord delivered them just three days earlier. And so in faith, he did what what all of us should do. When we're in need of God's provision, he turned to the Lord. And that brings us to the third part of the process, the prayer. Look at verse 25, just the first few lines. First line, really. And he cried to the Lord. He cried to the Lord. I, I came across this. Interesting tidbit of information this week. I thought it was worth sharing. There's a region in Africa where the very first converts of Christianity were very diligent about praying. In fact, so diligent were they that the believers each had their own special place outside of the village where they went to pray in solitude. And so the villagers reached these special prayer rooms by using their own private footpaths to get to their destination. And so when grass began to grow over these trails, it was evident that the person to whom it belonged was not praying very much. And and so because these new Christians were so concerned for each other's spiritual welfare, a unique custom sprang up. Whenever anyone noticed an overgrown prayer path, he or she would go to the person and lovingly warn, friend, there's grass on your path. There's grass on your path. I like that. Church, it's quite evident that there was grass on the path of the Israelites. Rather than take their problem to to God in prayer, they took their problem to Moses in protest. In his book, and I've quoted this before, but in his book, Transforming Prayer, Daniel Henderson said, Prayerlessness is our declaration of independence from God. Let that sink in. Prayerlessness is our declaration of independence from God. Despite what God had already done for them, it didn't take long for the Israelites to to declare their independence from God, because they didn't pray. They complained. However, their leader knew better. Psalm 34, 17 says, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. So from the burning bush, to the plagues, to the Passover, to the crossing of the Red Sea, it may have taken Moses a little while to get there, But not only did Moses learn the importance of crying out to God for help, he experienced God's deliverance time and time and time again. And unlike the Israelites, he remembered, man, that the same God who provided for for me then is able to provide for me now. Church, we can learn a lot from these two contrasting responses. John Butler said, the reason for their murmuring was that Israel took their eyes off of God and focus them chiefly on their circumstances. How many of us are guilty of that? That will always cause one to murmur sooner or later because circumstances in this life are not reliable reliable inspirers of rejoicing. Amen? Friends, when we fix our eyes on our problems instead of our provider, it won't take long for our attitudes to plummet. And I will say from this pulpit that I am guilty as charged on more than one occasion. However, when we fix our eyes on the Lord, it gives us reason to rejoice despite the problems that we face. Paul said in Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord what? Always. Always means what? Always. Again, I will say rejoice. There's a double. Again, I say rejoice. Always. Remember the context Paul wrote these words from a prison cell. Now, at first, it seems quite strange that this hopeful sentiment would come come out of such dire and terrible circumstances. However, Paul learned the same lesson that Moses learned namely, that our inner attitudes do not have to reflect our outward circumstances. Truth be told, when it comes to our outward circumstances, we may not have any reason to rejoice. However, we always have reason to rejoice in the Lord. And then Paul continues in in 6 and 7, verses 6 and 7. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by what? Yes, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God. See, despite the circumstances, right? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds Christ Jesus the similarities between Moses and Paul I think they're worth noting they both learn that the secret to conquering your troubles rather than being conquered by your troubles is maintaining a posture of prayer so church all this to say the words and he cried to the Lord should be the chorus of our lives both in the good times and especially through the bad times So let me encourage you, if you haven't done so already, keep the grass cut on your path and make crying out to God a priority in your life. The great R.A. Torrey said, Prayer is the key that unlocks all the storehouses of God's infinite grace and power. All that God is and all that God has are at the disposal of prayer. But we must use the key. Prayer can do anything God can do. And as God can do anything, prayer is omnipotent. Moses needed God's omnipotence, his all all powerfulness to help him through this situation. And just like the parting of the Red Sea, God was about to display his power, providing yet another miracle to meet the needs of his people. And this leads us to the fourth process, or fourth part of the process the provision. Look at the rest of verse 25. And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. Let's let that sink in for a second. Sometimes we miss, like, we miss this stuff. Yo, Moses, there's a log. Go ahead and chuck that in the water. Showed him a log, he threw it in the water, and the water became sweet. I love it. I love it. You know, in today's world, there's a smart everything, isn't there? There's smartphones and smart watches and smart homes, and believe it or not, even smart water. The only thing that seems to be missing these days is smart people. After all, you know why they call it smart water? Because it was smart enough to convince people to pay more for bottled water. Guilty. But you know, when it comes to water purification, we have no shortage of methods to get the job done. You can boil water, filter water, distill water, chlorinate water. However, up to this point, no one has been able to copy God's method for water purification. Throw a log in the water. It's funny, you know, some commentators uh, or some, some commentators, have noted other commentators that went on this journey to find that wood that makes water sweet. I'm like, dude, it's a miracle, all right? Like, chill out. There is no wood out there in the world that will make water sweet, okay? Especially for two million people. Like, it's a miracle. Just be okay with that. How much time has been wasted? Like Indiana Jones trying to find the, whatever he looked for. Uh, <laughs> that could be the next Indiana Jones movie. Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Waterlog. See, I, I miss my calling, guys. I could be writing these movies anyway. But once again, God used a water miracle to show His people that they could trust Him to meet their most basic needs. Church, it is a vivid reminder that instead of panicking over a problem, which we're so guilty of, I'm so guilty of, instead of panicking over a problem, we should in faith seek the Lord and trust him to provide through the problem. Because he always does. Matthew 6, Jesus said, we studied this not long ago, he said, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What are we going to eat? So what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, in other words, unbelievers, people that don't know Jesus, they seek after all these things. And, and your Heavenly Father, He knows that you need them all. And then He goes on to say, But seek first the kingdom of God. In other words, Come to me, seek me, my righteousness. And all these things that you're worried about, they will be added unto you. Now, do we believe Jesus or no? We believe in Jesus, but do we believe the words of Jesus? Church, when seeking God to meet a need in your life, just like the log in the water, sometimes God's going to provide for your needs in ways that might look a lot different than what you expected. Okay, so let's, let's just get that out there. It might look a little different. However, we can still trust him to meet our needs nonetheless. And one of the keys to developing this type of trust in the Lord is found in the example of Moses. Moses. You see, it becomes easier to trust God to meet the need of our present problem when we, like Moses, remembered how God met the need of our past problem. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same what? Yesterday, today, and forever. It's evident that Moses believed the same God who took care of the Red Sea problem was the same God who can take care of the bitter water problem. So we'd be blessed to learn from his example. And this leads us to the fifth part of the process, the promise. Look at uh, the tail end of verse 25 and 26. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, if you will diligently, diligently listen to my voice, excuse me, to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. You see, when reading through the Old Testament, we find God revealing more and more about his character and his capabilities to his people. And in this case, the Israelites learned a new name for God. Jehovah Rapha. Say it with me. Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah Rapha. Okay. That was weird, that first go-around, man. That was that, You were grumbling like the Israelites with that one. But Jehovah Rapha means, I am the Lord, your healer. See, God promised the Israelites that as long as they continued in obedience to him, that he would keep them from experiencing the same types of diseases and afflictions that he put on the Egyptians. Now, I want to be clear on something. This promise was specifically for the Israelites. And I say this because there are many charlatans out there who take this verse out of context to promote the health and wealth gospel. They claim that no true follower of Christ is ever going to get sick or have diseases, or that God will make rich those who walk in obedience to him. They use verses like this to take advantage of weaker sheep. And so I want to be crystal clear. If the gospel that you hear preached cannot be preached and applied to the poorest and most infectious parts of our world, then the gospel that you're hearing preached is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Of course the fact does remain that God is our healer. He is our healer. He's able to heal us physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally. However, there's a difference between he is able and he will always. Kapish? God doesn't always promise healing to us in a specific way that he did the Israelites. Nevertheless, there is still an important principle for all of us in God's promise to the Israelites. Arthur Pink notes, this principle runs throughout the scriptures and applies to every dispensation. Blessing is dependent upon obedience. Psalm 119 verses 1 through 3 says, Blessed are those whose way is blameless who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. Jesus said in Luke eleven twenty eight, 28, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Another translation of the word blessed could mean happy or joyful. And friends, just as a quick side note, this is something that God's been been working on me a little bit lately. Perhaps you're in that same camp. If you're lacking joy in your life right now, if you're struggling to have the spirit of happiness, it may very well be because you're not walking in obedience to the Lord. I've heard it said, if your Christian life is weighing you down, then you're not living the real Christian life. Church, God has given us his commands not as a burden, but as an act of love. 1 John 5.3. So all this to say, if you're feeling a, uh, overburdened or downcast in your walk with the Lord, let me encourage you, take some spiritual inventory and make sure that you're actually walking with the Lord. Because walking with him brings the promise of blessing. This leads us to the sixth part, last part of the process, the peace, the peace. Look at verse 27. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. You know, we all know what it's like to be in need of refreshment after traveling long distances. In fact, on a number of occasions, I've driven down to the Florida Keys with my family, which normally takes two to two and a half days, depending and after a long day <clears throat> excuse me, of driving, it feels great to just arrive at our hotel and unwind and get refreshed before the next round of driving begins. Well, the Israelites, they continued their, their pilgrimage in the desert, and then God brought them to this oasis. Now, this oasis wasn't their final destination. It wasn't the promised land of Canaan, but it was a break from the treacherous conditions of the wilderness. So church, just, just don't miss this because this is an important principle. Elam reminds us that the Christian life isn't always a desert experience. While we may have those moments of just being in the wilderness and having to go through the the muck and the mire, God is faithful to give us those seasons of respite where we can get refreshed in Him. No storm lasts forever. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Now, I know, and I'm preaching this to myself, Mike, you you know this, I know that living in northeast Pennsylvania, you might find this hard to believe, like I do from time to time, but the seasons of being consistently rainy and cloudy and cold will not, I hope, last forever. We get a couple of days of sun, and it goes... But friends, as we advance in our Christian pilgrimage toward the promised land of heaven, we're going to experience those seasons of tribulation. Jesus said we would. However, God will also be faithful to provide us with seasons of rest and refreshment along the way. David understood this when he wrote the the treasured words of Psalm 23. He said, he, talking about God, he makes me lie down in green, green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. We have those periods of restoration. Now, I'd like to say that God's miraculous provision changed the perspective of the Israelites. You would think it would, right? I mean, you got the the Red Sea moment. Three days later, you got the bitter water moment. At this point, you're like, man, God, I can trust you. No longer am I going to grumble and complain. You got this. You would think that would be the case. But unfortunately, that wasn't the case. If you read on the next few chapters, you're going to find this pattern of the Israelites complaining, and then God faithfully, uh, providing, continue. However, this does not mean that we cannot learn from their mistakes. Romans 15.4 says, for whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Church, it's important to remember that the Israelites' constant grumbling is not justification for our own sinful behavior. It's a juxtaposition to what our behavior should be. Scripture gives us example after example of how God is faithful to his people. And so therefore, just like Moses, when facing a problem of our own, we should seek the Lord and trust in his ability to provide. Because he's proven himself, hasn't he? Time and time and time again. And this brings us back to today's truth to remember. God always provides for the needs of his people. And so, church, I just want to close by reminding you, in case you're a little doubtful of that truth, I want to remind you to never forget that God provided for our greatest need, did he not? The need of a Savior. We took time to remember this earlier when we celebrated the Lord's Supper. The Bible teaches that God made us to be with him, to have a relationship with him, But we sinned and we cut ourselves off from him. We became his enemies. Yet God, in his great love for us, became a man in Jesus. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He took the punishment of your sins and my sins upon himself. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And in doing so, he provided the way to receive forgiveness for our sins and be saved and receive eternal life. He met our biggest need. Friends, 2,000 years ago, God proved on the cross that he is able to provide for our greatest need. Therefore, he is certainly able to provide for any other need that you may be facing today. So all this to say, if God spoke to you in some way this morning, I want you to remember that he doesn't speak just to be heard. He speaks so that you might respond. So I want to encourage you to do just that. If you need to respond to God's invitation to receive Jesus as your Savior, the Bible teaches that You must repent what means to change your mind about sin and about Jesus and believe in the person and work of Jesus to save your soul like this young teenager did just a few days ago. She knew all all the facts about Jesus, but she never received him by faith. Maybe you need to receive him by faith today. And for those who believe you're promised the free gift of eternal life, but not only are you promised the gift of eternal life, you are also promised the gift of God's presence to carry you through the problems of everyday life. That's a gift worth receiving, yes? And so if you'd like more information on what it means to receive Christ, if you're still a little uncertain, I want to just invite you, you can mark it on your Connect card and we can get in touch with you this week. Or after the service, once we're done with the closing song, you can come forward. We've got some packets of information here. Just come on up, grab it. If you need to talk to somebody, you can do that as well. There'll be some people up here. And for everyone else, if you need to respond this morning simply by giving a specific need over to the Lord, You just got something that's weighing over you that you haven't just placed at at his feet. I want to encourage you to do that today. Again, you can mark that need on your connect slip. The staff will be sure to be praying for that need tomorrow morning. Or you can come forward, again, after the closing song. We're going to have our prayer team is going to be up front here. And if you just need somebody to pray with, kind of share your need, and and they can pray with you, that would be their joy to do so. So there's, there's a lot of ways to respond this morning. Pick the one that's most comfortable to you, but by all means, respond. I'd like to invite the praise team forward, and let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for the miraculous way you provided water for the Israelites. Lord, I don't want, we didn't touch base on it today, but in the next couple of chapters, you miraculously provided Manna and quail in the wilderness for your people, even after they grumbled and complained. God, it is a great reminder that when we are faithless, you remain faithful, and I thank you for that truth. But well, Lord, undoubtedly, there's some needs in this room this morning that need to be met. There's, there's bills that need to be paid or perhaps they don't know where that money is coming from. There's, there's a job that really needs to come through, there's a marriage that really needs healing and restoration. Lord, there's bitterness, there's anger, there's just things in this room that need to be healed, that you need to provide to meet that need. And so, God, whatever it is it might be, I pray, God, that that your people would respond to, to your calling this morning. God, if there's someone here that has not trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior, perhaps they need to do that and trust in your provision alone on the cross for their sins and for their salvation. Whatever that looks like, Lord, may your people respond, and we'll give you the glory And all God's people said. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.